1: From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. It's the Motley Fool Money Radio Show. Thanks for being here. I'm Chris Hill. And joining me in studio this week from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser from Motley Fool Supernova, Matt Argusinger, and from Million Dollar Portfolio, Ron Gross. Good to see you guys. Hey, hey, how you do. We've got restaurant stocks, housing stocks, apparel stocks, and more. David Gardner, co-founder of the Motley Fool, will be our guest in studio this week. And as always, we'll share a few stocks you can put on your watch list. But we begin with the deal of the week. Facebook bought WhatsApp, a popular messaging app for smartphones, in a deal worth $19 billion, Jason, leading some people to say That's with a B, right? With a B. Yeah. Did they get the decimal point right? (laughs) to say, this is the latest sign that we are in full-on bubble mode. I'm guessing you do not agree, though.
0: Uh, well, I don't. No, I wouldn't say bubble mode. I think a lot of it just really depends on your perspective. I, I think we probably. It's only February, the end of February. This probably qualifies as the deal of the year so far. But I mean, you have to look at this from the perspective of of where social media is and where it's going. I mean, the average global internet user today spends two and a half hours. Uh, daily on social media and and that number is not trending down it's trending up so I mean Facebook knows this and that's really the impetus of, of behind this entire deal so I, I tried to look at this and I think we could probably all relate to this if we think about a big pizza right mm, and so sure. Facebook mm. yes yeah, nah, I get your glad t- to t- t- but essentially you know the big pizza represents all of this social media time spent per day and so Facebook has you know, historically taken about half that pizza on its own right there. And then you have sort of the other players, and they're your Instagrams and Twitters and whatnot, that sort of make up that other half of that pizza. Uh, they bought Instagram, so they could get a little bit more of that pizza. And, and WhatsApp, with its uh, 450 million-plus uh, user base, is taking up a little bit of that, of that pizza as well. And so what Facebook is trying to do is slowly but surely buy up, a little bit more of that pizza every so often, so they can become more and more. They're 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 the ones that are taking up all of that time that we're spending on social media each day. And Maddie, even though Facebook financed this deal mostly
1: with stock, and the stock has appreciated nicely, mm. so they're getting kudos for that.
2: There are still people saying, "Really, nineteen billion? Did, did they overpay?" It, it's a it's a massive number. I mean, I can't even believe this this company didn't even exist four years ago. Fifty five employees. Nineteen billion dollars, essentially. I think uh, well under a hundred million in, rev- in revenue. Um, I guess my my thing here, though, is I think it is the right move by Facebook because I always felt like with Facebook, they had they they had to use their size to make a deal like this to continue to grow their platform, and that is exactly what they're doing, and they're doing it very effectively. You know, they have a hundred and seventy billion dollar market cap, nineteen billion to essentially add, you know, a hundred million more users probably that aren't also using Facebook.
3: Agreed. Yeah, nineteen billion, huge number. Breaks down to forty-two dollars per user, though, um, which, depending on the comps you use, is actually not too crazy. Um, whether this is successful or not, and whether it turns out. To be worth it, I'm gonna plead uh, ignorance and say, I honestly don't know. I'm gonna wait it out and, and watch, but we're 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 still
0: proud owners of Facebook. I, I think the bottom line is you just have to look at this as a perspective thing. I mean, with Zuckerberg at twenty nine years old, we know the trend of social media is doing nothing but growing. It's just a common form of human communication. And so you have to look at this as a decades out play. Ten years from now, twenty years from now, is this going to matter? my guess is that yes, it will. So I think that while the 19 billion does take our breath away, I, I think that over time I think this actually will prove out to be a smart deal. I just want to say you know one more thing about it though what I'm
2: seeing a lot now, Facebook being one, Twitter, LinkedIn, Yelp, Zillow, even you know, companies are starting to talk about other kinds of metrics besides what we're used to seeing, which is revenue,
3: cash flow, profits. earnings, profits. So does this make you nervous? Or you're happy well, about I,
2: it? I, I guess my, my point I is, I hear I'm, eyeballs
3: come out of exa- your mouth.
2: Exactly. So you know, we're talking user account. We're we're talking monthly active users, unique visitors, traffic. When we start really, you know, zeroing down on all those numbers, we might be in a in kind of a different bad plane in the stock market. We'll see.
1: Shares of Groupon got a haircut on Friday after reporting a loss for the fourth quarter and, Ron, guidance for Q1 coming in lower than people were expecting. Yeah. When is this? Speaking of profits, I, I, when is this company going to make some money? I tell you,
3: last night it was buy on the headline; stock was up big. Today, uh, sell on the actual results. Let's read <laughs> uh, read the press release. Um, there were some good things; they beat estimates. They did generate an operating profit. Revenue was up pretty nicely. Um, on the other hand, guidance was weak. Lots of one time expenses, which for them seems to be the norm. So I don't know if you can call them one time. Um, gross margins are weak. They're in a competitive space now, moving into the, the goods business, Groupon Goods, competing with companies like Amazon or eBay or Priceline. Um, tough, tough, tough road to hoe there. Um, so, stock sells off, and I think it should. Is I, I, I suppose, Jason, you always want to see your
1: company look for ways to diversify revenue streams, but when I hear Ron say they're moving into competing with eBay and Amazon, that really sounds like a bad hand to draw
0: sounds <laughs> <laughs> like a a a yeah, tough tough road ahead and I did you guys see the uh the little President's Day campaign they had, where they called out uh, Alexander Hamilton as one of our greatest presidents ever. and The only problem with that was that Alexander (laughs) Hamilton wasn't wasn't actually a president. President. So, it was something that obviously got a lot of attention. But, uh, of course, after President's Day, they came out and said they meant to do that. It was an intentional mistake to create some press and get the name Groupon out there. And, And So, my point, whether it's intentional or not, when you're relying on little tricks like that to get people to recognize your name, I don't know that that's a business model that screams competitive advantage to me. Shares of
1: Tesla Motors Hitting yet another all-time high this week after fourth-quarter results came in better than expected, Maddie. This is a company you look at. What were the highlights?
2: Well, you know, you're looking at uh, you know 6,900 roughly Model S uh, deliveries in the fourth quarter. We already knew that number out there. They had announced that at the Detroit Auto Show earlier in the year, but still. Big number, but the, the the news here is what they're guiding for. Um, you know, a lot of analysts on the street were looking at around 31 to 32 thousand vehicle deliveries 2014. They're guiding for over 35 thousand now. That's a 55 increase, 55 percent increase of what they did in 2013. They're also guiding for 28 percent gross margins, which you know most car companies. If you look at your Fords and GMs, you know, on a great year. They're getting about eight to ten percent on on their gross margins. You know, Tesla just did twenty five percent in the past quarter. They're guiding for twenty eight percent. That's that's a massively profitable car company um, by any stretch. What I think is going on here with Tesla and why. You know, why I'm not afraid of the stock reaching these really high, you know, new highs is that I feel like we're a little bit like in the Apple story right now. If you look at Apple from, say, 2004 to 2011, analysts were always playing catch up with Apple. You know, they always said, well, this quarter they're going to deliver 3 million iPods. Well, they came out with 4.5 million. Oh, this quarter they're going to do 5 million iPhones. Well, they they did 7.5 million iPhones. And every year, you know, every quarter, every year, the analysts had to keep ramping up their expectations. And I feel like that's what's going on with Tesla. They might say they're going to do over 35,000 vehicles in 2014. I would not be surprised if it's forty thousand.
1: Is there a concern that as they ramp up production and are pumping out more and more cars, that the gross margins invariably get lower?
2: No, you know they in, they should at least if they if they stick to their current line of Model S's and eventually the Model X, which is a you know a luxury even a higher priced SUV, we you can actually see those gross margins go up over time. When they will come down? Is when they are, you know, Tesla is forced to expand because they're going to produce the the lower Model E, the more mass market company. That's when it's going to come down. But I I see twenty five to thirty percent gross margins for the company at least for the next few years.
3: I'll just give the other perspective Um, from million dollar portfolios, the other side of the trade here. We are concerned that the stock has run so far, so fast, Um, and we've moved the stock to hold, and we we need some time to really think it through and say is a lot of all that great stuff that Matty just talked about is that already baked into the stock, and we need to think about that a little bit.
1: Interesting week for Panera Bread. Fourth quarter profits came in higher than expected, but they lowered guidance for the current quarter, saying that bad weather is resulting in lower traffic at their restaurants. And, Jason, normally what we see when that kind of combination comes out is a stock takes a little bit of a hit. Shares were actually up for the week. Is Panera Bread Getting the benefit of the doubt from Wall Street?
0: Well, I mean I don't know about the weather thing. I think the weather thing is actually pretty reasonable for restaurants because it's not like you're gonna go in the next day and and make up for those sales that you lost or the you know, the food that you didn't buy from the day before. So it certainly affects traffic from that regard. But I think that really, you know, Ratcheting back on the guidance for for the quarter in the year. I mean, yeah, on the surface, that doesn't look good. But you have to look at why they're doing this, and I'm actually encouraged by uh, by why they're doing this. They're investing more into the restaurants, into their uh, labor, to the operations, in order to make these restaurants a better experience. And I think that you know a lot of us have, have probably observed that when you go into a Panera, it's just not as smooth an experience as it potentially could be. Uh, and then for for a while now, I've been very critical of of their uh, you know, not embracing technology, so to speak. We've seen Starbucks and, and now Dunkin' Donuts just fly right by them with those, you know, apps and loyalty programs that you can use as tender on your phone. and And the encouraging news from the call that came out the next day was that Panera is actually investing a lot of money in this, and in their, uh, they're 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 going to have an investor day in March where they're going to present us uh, with this with this investment in technology that they they refer to as quote an enhanced order payment execution and consumption experience. Uh, so we have to wait a little bit to see exactly what that means. But, but I personally am very encouraged because I think Starbucks and, and I think the Dunkin' Donuts will also prove this out. Those are very powerful tools for these for these restaurants that have these these powerful well known b- known brands that can keep uh, you know people coming back for more. So I think all in all, that's a you know it was an encouraging quarter, and I, and I think you know Ron Shake is a powerful CEO who will continue to do well for this company.
1: As we just talked about Tesla Motors stock, when you look at shares of Panera Bread, is it getting pricey?
0: You know, I, I've i always thought that anywhere in that $200 and up range was a little pricey because I was not quite convinced uh, that, that they were really making the right moves. Now that I've seen this news with the investment in the business and the technology side of it, I'm starting to think the stock's looking a little bit more attractive. Coming up, some U.S. Olympians
1: learned the old lesson, it's a poor craftsman who blames his tools. Details next. This is Motley Fool Money. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so no buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Jason Moser, Matt Argusinger, and Ron Gross. Guys, a couple of companies related to the housing industry reporting earnings this week. Fourth quarter profits for tile shop holdings fell 22%. And the company said its sales growth was hurt by bad weather. And yet, Maddie, I'm assuming that was just better than expected because the shares were up more than 12% on Friday.
2: What's going on here? This is completely a relief rally for a tile shop. So they've. For those who don't know, they've they've been under a little bit of scrutiny. They, there was a short report that came out last November that kind of looked into their sourcing, particularly in China, uh, sourcing for their tiles, and found some you know some interesting relationships. Uh, you know, not totally up to par. The Company did an investigation, fired the related party, has hired a new uh, person who's handling their purchasing in China right now. So that that issues passed. There was really no mention of it on the press release. There was only one question about it on the call, and and the CEO had a good answer for that. So again. Getting back to the business itself, looks pretty good. You know, Their comp store sales were up 10%. They're opening new stores. Revenue looked good. Um, they're they're going to open 20 new stores in 2014. So, the business is going on. And I think what happened is, the stock just got to a point where everyone thought there was another shoe that was going to drop. Another shoe did not drop, so the stock's getting a bit of a bounce. I was
1: going to say, because after that report, you look at a, a chart of this stock, it fell about 50% Incredible. from last fall. Amazing. So that tells me that it was sold off too much.
2: I think it was sold off too much, and again, it's a it's a small company as well with you know not a huge amount of trading volume. So I'm not surprised it got cut in half. I mean, if there were more relevations that had come out that you know that they were improperly you know sourcing or managing their inventory in in a way, that could have been very bad. And I think a lot of investors were betting on that and and really selling down the stock. But of course, that didn't doesn't look like it's going to happen.
1: Fourth quarter profits for lumber liquidators rose forty eight percent. Ron Gross, I know you watch this company closely. My question for you is,
3: do I have that number right? <laughs> 48%? It's a, it's an incredible quarter, and they put up incredible numbers. How about comp store sales of 15.6%? I mean, there's amazing numbers. Gross margins of 41% almost. Um, the company is doing really, really well. There's also some controversy. Um, With sourcing related to lumber liquidators, and I guess when when you're dealing with China um, and Russia in this particular case, there's always some some issues. There's actually an investigation ongoing. We don't think it's going to be material. It could turn up something, but it won't really. I don't think change um, our thesis here. Um, The company continues uh, to put up great results. There's plenty of runways go uh, to go. 320 stores. We think they can get to over 600. Um, The stock has done incredibly well. So we actually do have it on hold right now. Although we just raised our valuation estimate.
1: I was going to say, it shares up around 8% this week. Um, it, it does seem like it's getting
3: I mean, it's, it's up over 400% for us. Um, we've owned it for a while, um, which is wonderful, but um, how much more room there is to run is, is questionable. Just I had to rub it in, didn't well, Will we be you? talking any more about the social media pizza that uh, <laughs> Jason talked about earlier? <laughs> no, about uh, I mean, uh, we,
1: we will fly. get to the stocks on our radar in a moment. But before we get to that, the Winter Olympics have been going on, and there is one business story of note. Under Armour had designed a new suit for U.S. speed skaters, the Mach 39. They worked with Lockheed Martin on that. And the skaters, suffice to say, did not do well. They didn't meddle. (laughs) Uh, The team voted to change back to their older suits, which were also made by Under Armour. But Jason, there were people out there blaming Under Armour for this. And if you thought that they were going to just wash their hands and break ties with Under Armour, it didn't really turn out that way
0: no it didn't i mean you i think you gave sort of a good a good uh, quick summation of of what exactly has gone on i think the bottom line here shareholders uh, in under armour or even if you're considering buying shares in under armour you need to feel really good about the way this has worked out the way that kevin plank and his and his team there with under armour have handled this situation because, in my opinion here, what this, this was all week, it was kind of looking like it could be something tough that they were going to have to manage. This has really turned out to be what I think is just a tremendous win for this company because of the way they handled the situation. And I think that the more and more any any reasonable person looks into what was going on here, I mean, their, their training regimen really was, was to question. I mean, that's what we have to question first and foremost, And training at altitude versus the sea level where they were competing. And that, to me, it seems to be the most plausible explanation for their underperformance. Uh, so, then the big question was, from there, where where do we go? I mean, would they ever renew with Under Armour? How does this affect the Under Armour on a global scale? Well, I think virtually every you know, every other international speed skating team out there could recognize the fact that, no, this isn't Under Armour's fault. But the American team got beat. I mean, they just did, and that's the way life goes. Uh, but but the, the news that came out today with them re-upping that deal with Under Armour for another, what, eight years through 2022, I mean, that, that really is a big deal. Because, number one, I think it speaks to the fact that they're able to swallow a little pride and, and sort of say, hey, look, Let's move forward with this. We really understand uh, that, that we had a good thing going with Under Armour. And really for Under Armour, it just shines a light on how well they've handled the situation. And and you know, Kevin Plank handled the situation with equanimity and his play just the bottom line was he wants to make sure that Under Armour can help getting help in getting our athletes the best equipment possible so that they can perform at the highest level. And when you have someone like that, a team like that, uh, it's just really hard to compete against something like that. And so, I think that Under Armour benefits from this.
3: Alright, we got just a couple minutes left. Ron Gross, what's on your radar this week? Going back to Horsehead Holdings, ticker symbol Zinc, Z-I-N-C. They report next Tuesday, maker of zinc- uh, zinc-related products. Shares have done really well. They've got a brand new facility coming online in North Carolina. The prices of zinc, the commodity, has been rising nicely, which bodes well. Um, we have it on hold, but um, I'm going to listen to what they have to say on Tuesday to see where we go. All right, Maddie, what do you got? I'm looking at Sina, ticker
2: S I N A. This is a um, they report earnings this week as well, and this is you know, for lack of a better term, this is the Twitter of China. They own a, a very a massively popular microblogging service. Um, Alibaba, which is a, a ginormous Chinese uh, e-commerce company, has an investment in them. I'm just very interested in following this company. I think they've got a lot of great potential. I mean, if we look at what Twitter's been able to do, if Sina can have a similar amount of success with their microblogging platform in China, there's just a massive market opportunity for this company.
0: Jason, we got about a minute left. I'm Let's... actually going to reach back just to a little earlier in the show here, uh, taking a look at Panera Bread again. It's um, it's a stock that you know this was. Basically, my my kids first learned about investing with Panera, and uh, and so this this quarter I think was very encouraging in their investments that they're making in restaurant operations and technology in particular. And uh, it's it's a stock that my daughters have continued to kick around with me as a potential uh, one that they want to add to their portfolio this quarter. And when you look at their store base of around 1,600 stores today, they can reasonably double that. And, and that doesn't even bring in bring into account the fact they may be able to add some more smaller uh, sort of concepts in the mix there as well. So I think there's Still a lot of growth here in uh, solid management with Ron Shake. It's one we're keeping our eyes on. And the ticker? Ticker is PNRA. All right. Jason Moser, Matt
1: Argersinger, Ron
0: Gross. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank thanks, you,
1: thank you. Coming up next, a conversation with our man, David Gardner. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Somehow
0: my finances will grow with the interest I show in the interest it gives me. And now a piece of paper from me won't seem half fair
1: welcome back to motley fool money i'm chris hill david gardner is the co-founder co-chairman of the board and chief rule breaker here at the motley fool he joins me now in studio thanks for being here
4: chris it's good to see you for i don't know what 12 14 years now but you know never enough one day to the next it's always a pleasure to rejoin and hang out some appreciate you
1: Doing that because uh, you're a busy guy, I know, uh, and particularly when uh, it's college basketball season.
4: Well, and and but I'm not the only one, and in fact, Chris, I'm pretty sure these days you're busier than I am (laughs) at the Motley Fool. I see far more of you out there in the fool than I see of me. So Uh, I know who's doing the real value.
1: Let's get to some of the companies that are in your universe, and first and foremost, Tesla Motors. You look at the most recent uh, fourth quarter results. Shares are hitting an all-time high today as we tape this. And over the last 12 months, this stock is up more than 400%. I know you've made the point before. It had sort of treaded water
4: for a while after you had first recommended it. November 2011. It did nothing for that first year.
1: But are you surprised at the rise? I mean, more than 400% in
4: 12 months, while that's wonderful, yeah, I'm completely Art. surprised by it. Um, I'm very pleasantly surprised <laughs> yeah. by it. In fact, surprise is a key part of pleasure in my life. I believe <laughs> that surprises are really part of the fun of life. So, it has been incredibly fun. Um, uh, I know that probably about after 200 of those 400%, a fair number of people thought, well, this thing is already priced yeah. for perfection. It, this is a pricey stock. All right, and now it's doubled again. And, uh, you know, I'm not here to say that it's not just about to, I don't know, underperform for the next few quarters uh, or continues its surge. um, Because the focus for me, of course, and I know you share my focus, Chris, it's not about the earnings report that just happened or even the next one. It's about being a part owner of a great business, a business that could still fail, but a business that is doing something really wonderful in the world with a great leader somebody who visited Fool HQ a couple of years ago. And on that day, I said, I think I'm going to recommend his stock in our next Rule Breakers issue. And especially, I remember Elon pointing out that his company was the third most shorted stock on the entire NASDAQ on that day. So, there's a number of factors there. We don't have to pull them apart. we got other stuff to talk about. But that was a beautiful cocktail for success to create a horrendously bad metaphor <laughs> that I really people don't drink cocktails of success. So I don't know why I went there but I'm telling you right now that was almost like the ultimate buy signal for me.
1: I want to ask you a couple of questions specific to Elon Musk but uh, before that and this is something you and I have talked a little bit about before when you look at the space of automotive companies they're all competing with one another Ford competes with GM, Toyota, Chrysler, etc., etc., etc. And yet I have made the point to you that I look at Tesla Motors as a company that has not just competition but enemies. And I'm wondering if you consider recent history where, for example, automotive dealers in different states have worked with state uh, legislatures Mm -hmm. to keep Tesla Motors out of the state. Is that even more of a buy signal for you? Do you get excited by a company that has enemies, or is it a non-factor for you? Well,
4: it really comes down to why you have an enemy, and um, certainly the companies that I love that have enemies are the ones that are doing that because they potentially are serving customers better than the status quo had been before that rule breaker started breaking the rules and showed up uninvited to the party, Uh, and so companies like Netflix, which you know shook up an entire industry, certainly just the whole internet. I mean, Amazon.com, eBay. Uh, Zillow today, certainly a company where, at least a few years ago, a lot of realtors did not like Zillow. A fair number st- now kind of like Zillow, because they're like, I can advertise on you, even if I'm not going to believe this estimate, and I still have the <laughs> proprietary information, I know the neighborhood, and Zillow's just kind of a joke which some people still say. but you know, So, it's these disruptive forces that, of course, when David shows up, Goliath isn't very happy, and it's very easy to kind of poo-poo David and say, yeah, whatever. Um, and certainly, in some cases, it was wrong to buy that David stock. Some of them fail.
1: How much of your interest in Tesla Motors as a stock is tied up in Elon Musk? if for example a year from now Elon Musk who has other ventures he's involved in announces i'm going to stay on as chairman but i'm stepping down as ceo i'm moving away from the day-to-day operations i want to concentrate on spacex or the hyperloop or something like that yeah how much does that affect the way you view tesla motors the stock
4: well i mean first of all he owns I think I'm making up numbers, which I'm pretty good at these days because I'm following so many different companies uh, and I love them all. But I think Elon owns about thirty percent of Tesla's shares, so pretty sure if he does step away, he cares a lot still. I think that's where his net worth is most prominently focused. So, and and I will also say that I'm the first to think that if he did make that decision, it's because he sees something awesome, maybe even better than Tesla, and if he's going to maybe be involved in a public company, I would take a hard look at that one, too. Uh, so, Chris, I think that Elon is obviously a big part of the Tesla story. And for most of my best stock picks, and Tesla could end up going down as one of them. Our cost at Rule Breakers is $35 a share. So, here we are. Um, and now
1: it's north of 200
4: Yeah. We're here less than three years later, and uh, the stock is is a solid five six six bagger now. Um, so, that that's a great under three-year performance. so And, obviously, I think it has a great future. We'll see how it plays out. But, most of the great stock picks that I've had, and I've had more bad ones than anyone at The Motley Fool, but most of my great ones are because they were tightly tied to a true visionary Jeff Bezos, Howard Schultz, uh, of course, Starbucks, Steve Jobs, I think we know his story. And, And so, I don't really want to disentangle them. And I don't really think they look to disentangle them from themselves from their own companies. I mean, Howard Schultz is there, Starbucks, Bezos is there, Buffett, I still see him at Berkshire, Reed Hastings and Netflix. I don't really speculate or live in fear that we're going to lose our all-star CEO. I realize it can happen, but then I'd be really interested to see where they're headed, and I'd be looking at that too.
1: You're listening to Motley Fool Money, talking with David Gardner, co-founder, co-chairman of the board, and chief rule breaker here at The Motley Fool. You had written uh, something recently for our Motley Fool Stock Advisor service um, touching on your most recent uh, experience at uh, a financial television network, shall we say. This was a couple of years ago, but uh, I wondered if you could share a little bit about that, because uh, there was an exchange with the host <laughs> who, who seemed to be very focused, uh, I should say very surprised at your interest in a particular industry right. after what had happened the previous day. Right.
4: So, I mean, it, it, I, I, um, I'm grateful for financial media. I mean, I really think that I wish more people cared about the stock market, so I'm never going to say or talk down uh, a prominent financial (laughs) television network, although I always have questions about television and its nature as a medium and what that means for investing, which will be for another interview, Chris. But that morning, I was a co-host of the early morning show, and the day before, cloud computing stocks had dropped. As a group, which sometimes happens, sector rotation kind of stuff. Sure, seven percent, maybe seven or eight percent. And so I had just mentioned one of them that I liked, and we went to commercial break. and she leaned forward and she said, "You still like that stock after yesterday?" <laughs> and I, I can tell you, that was said with by, uh, completely straight face, very sincerely. These are the people who are setting the public's consciousness around the stock market. Not all of us, because this thing came up that's bigger than television, I think. It's called the internet. And there are a lot of places you can go to find people who are a little bit, I think, longer-term in their thought about business and what really leads to investment success. But it's kind of understandable. If you're a news junkie and, you know, it's all about whatever just happened, and that's the biggest thing in the world, of course. And that, to me, was like a classic moment that shows the difference between foolishness and uh, the opposite of foolishness. We'll call that conventional wisdom today. Conventional wisdom in investing in the markets is all about what just happened, and that's so big. Tesla's earnings, which have vaulted the stock 10% or so this week. I mean, that's great. We love it. And let's talk about it. We already did. But obviously, it's all about what's going to happen over the next two or three years, not the last two days.
1: You had mentioned the stocks you own. I think, uh, when you and I were talking recently, you said you own somewhere in the neighborhood of 170 stocks.
4: No, Well, let me say, oh. I, I own probably about 55 stocks. Now, across my two services, the Stock Advisor and Rule Breakers, those are all my recommendations, and all my children. I don't own every one of my children, because I, I just don't, I don't diversify that broadly. But they all matter to me, and I have 171 active recommendations across Rule Breakers and Stock Advisor.
1: Let's stick with that universe, then. If next week the market and all of those stocks in your universe dropped 10%, what would be at the top of your buy list? Because you strike me as someone who keeps a watch list, is looking for opportunities, and while not focused on the short term is still, at the same time, aware of opportunities that short-term drops can
4: bring an investor. Well, um, first of all, I would not look to buy just because the market had dropped 10%. um, Because the implications sometimes for some people, and I always want to disabuse as many Motley Fool members and fans as possible of this illusion, I think. It might well be that you should be buying with real fervor when the market has risen 10% over the past week. I don't believe there's a kind of what goes up must come down thing. I think and I've never seen a study and maybe no one could ever do it, but I'd love to see, you know, if you see a 10% drop in a stock versus a 10% rise and you look at that sample size, what's the probability that the stock will go on to gain 25% or more from that point? And I actually guess for at least those 171 companies, my kinds of companies, that once you see a 10% rise, that's a better buy trigger if you want to get excited than that it dropped 10%. So, just a separate point. But to go to the heart of your question, because I think you're really just asking me, Chris, like, what do I like today? Or I'm looking for a name. <laughs> so, let me give you some names here, okay? <laughs> and and really, I mean, first of all, I, um, I, I always hesitate to throw out a few because I don't want Motley Fool members will latch on to those and say, that's the one Dave loves. Because I don't have any magical ability to identify within my 171 stocks the three that are going to be the best over the next year. I can tell you companies that I admire. And for, for us, you know, at let's just go to Motley Fool Rule Breakers, we come out with a list every month of our five best buys now. And I'm happy, even though that's premium, and we love everybody listening <laughs> to subscribe. And if you haven't already, shame on you. And don't you want to get started investing? But we're happy occasionally to just share what we're doing from a premium standpoint. So I'll just give a couple of those companies that we're looking at as, as best buys now. And uh, one is Yelp. I mean, I think Yelp is increasingly <laughs> um, growing its tendrils through many different businesses. Google, Yahoo, Apple, incorporating Yelp ratings, and it's it's customer reviews are a great phenomenon of the internet age. We didn't have anything like that. There was the Zagat Dining Guide, right. where you kind of got that in paper back in the day. But, I mean, this is a really important thing. And, I mean, Yelp has been a tremendous stock, uh, but I like it a lot. Um, Michael Kors, um, a fairly recent recommendation of ours. Uh, I realize a lot of people think, it's larger than Coach now. It's already had a huge run. How could you like it now? Well, that's actually often what works for me as an investor, is finding the things that the market is recognizing are winners, because in my experience, many people think what goes up must come down. It's the exact opposite, often. The winners keep on winning. I find it true in general in life, Elon Musk, and I also find it true in the stock market. So, I think a lot of us need to get rid of this parabolic image in our mind where, you know, Oh, it's probably, it hit a high now, so I should sell because it hit a high. Too many people are looking at the 52 week lows for their buy list when they should be looking at the 52 week highs. And that's what I, I've done consistently for 21 years.
1: Coming up, David's thoughts on Twitter. This is Motley Full Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill talking with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. The last time you were on the show, we talked about Twitter, which at that point was still a private company. It was on the verge of its IPO. I had asked about your interest in it, and you talked about it in terms of 10-year periods as a stock that, is this something that 10 years from now I wished I had owned throughout that decade? It's a stock you had recommended Uh, in Motley Fool Rule Breakers back in mid-December, how is the business looking to you right now? They've already had your first quarterly report as a public company. In general, the stock has done well from the IPO, but I don't think there's anyone who thinks that Twitter is going to be profitable in 2014, including the people at Twitter. But at the same time, we've seen plenty of successful companies that have been public for a year or two without being profitable.
4: That's right. I mean, Tesla would be a pretty good example of that. Uh, Amazon certainly back in the day. So, I don't believe that um, the stock market needs to see profit in order for a stock to be considered worthy of buying. The stock market is always looking forward. And I think a lot of investors have trained themselves, or been trained, to look backward. That's what financial statements show. They show what already happened. There's nothing forward-looking. In fact, they have to disclaim anything forward-looking. When they release their numbers, so if you're looking at numbers and you're becoming a numbers-focused investor, and I would say I spend of my two eyes, one of them is on the numbers, but the other is actually on where things are headed, and I and I love to look at at relevance. I also love to look at market cap. So let's talk about Twitter briefly from a market cap standpoint, also a relevance standpoint. So Twitter today is worth about 31 billion dollars. That sounds like a lot for a company that really is not yet profitable. And frankly, that I'm not I can't remember history, Chris. I mean, here at the Fool, people were tweeting early on back in the day, but I don't think that was much more than seven or eight years ago. So this is a relatively recent company already worth more than, I don't know, how about Netflix? Or um a company that's been around much longer, like um how about Whole Foods Market? So Twitter is already worth more than those companies. But Twitter has a bigger opportunity than those companies. I love Whole Foods and Netflix. Those are two of my biggest holdings. And among my personal holdings, I don't have Twitter yet. But it is definitely one of my personal recommendations. And sometimes, bad news for me, my personal recommendations (laughs) outperform my personal holdings. But, you know, I just see so much optionality. That's the one line I want to hammer down on for anybody listening. Uh, Optionality, we kind of define as, the ability for a business to morph into something more or different. Twitter has to represent one of the probably top 30 in worldwide today in terms of what it can do with all of the global users it has, with all the relevance. They have everything from celebrities managing their fan bases there to, of course, the ad sales they are. They're looking at the feed just like Facebook, mobile. Um, it's the way people get news. Uh, it's it's an incredibly relevant thing. So, Twitter is a stock that I think you should consider having for your portfolio. Um, it's obviously an active recommendation of ours at Molly Fool Rule Breakers. The market hasn't a- asked Twitter to make a profit yet. Um, and, you know, eventually that'll happen. But, uh, you're going to find, for great, rule-breaking, worldwide opportunity businesses, the market can be very patient for a long time, not needing profits, as those companies build out their footprint we got uh,
1: just about a minute or so left. Darn it. Um, I was listening to an interview that Elon Musk gave five years ago, and one of the things that struck me was he talked about how um, he had been thinking about the electric car since he was about 19 years old. But before that, hmm. he, he had other things on his mind, but he'd been focused pretty much since he was 19. And it got me to thinking about you. Um, you and I are the same age. Um, we're in our officially in our late 40s. And I look around the office here at The Motley Fool. We have more than 300 employees. And I imagine there are some younger people who think, well, well David's probably always wanted to do this. But what I know is that you didn't really set out to do this. You set out, I believe, to write the great American novel. <laughs> I, I am curious, because I don't think I've ever asked you this before. When did you make the switch? When did you decide, no, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make investing not just something I do, for my personal life, I'm going to make it my business.
4: Well, once I realized that I didn't want to finish my novel, which was at that (laughs) point about 320 pages, and it wasn't finishing yet, and I was kind of growing tired of it, that was probably a good trigger. That would be the year after college for me. So, um, But- uh, you know, there's a great economic term, and anybody who's like took the econ courses real basic that I took will already know it comparative advantage. And that's where basically you, as an economic entity, whether you're a person or a corporation, you rise to find what the world needs of you that is of the most value that you can provide the world. I think the world already has some really great living <laughs> novelists and lots of amazing dead ones too, and their literature will live forever, and we love it. I do think the world has lacked people who can pick stocks. I don't suggest that I'm a great, but I do look among left and right, from uh, financial networks that are all about the here and now, right through to a mass uh, worldwide kind of financial illiteracy about the stock market. And I think I probably found my comparative advantage. I probably found what I could do that was of most value. Uh, and I think I do I hope I pick stocks better than I put sentences together.
1: He's not a novelist, but fortunately for us, he is the co-founder, <laughs> co-chairman of the board, and chief rule breaker here at the Monocle
4: Theater Company. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Chris. Always a pleasure. Cool.
1: That's going to do it for this week's show.
4: We'll see you next week.